And we've been studying through the Gospel of John this semester. Um, and if you've, if you've been around the last several weeks, uh, you've seen these different encounters that we've seen between him and different people. And tonight's one is a little bit interesting. Uh, Jesus has uh, famously fed 5,000 people with loaves of bread and fish that he sort of miraculously produces. And then he says that he is the bread of life. And then he starts to talk about how everybody has to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And it gets weird. And then we pick up here in John chapter 6, starting verse 60, after he has said these things, some of which we'll look at in more detail in a minute. So John 6. Uh, when many of his disciples heard it, that is him talking about eating his flesh and blood, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you spoke these challenging words and they are hard, they are confusing. We pray that you would um, make it clear for us tonight. Uh, may we be full of belief, uh, whether we are coming from places of a lot of pain, a lot of doubt, maybe dreading when our family comes this weekend, maybe relieved that they're not coming, maybe lonely uh, and feeling neglected because uh, they're not. Uh, wherever we're coming from, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us, speak to us tonight, um, and use the spirit that you said is the source of life in these verses. We pray this in your name. Amen. Quick reminder, text questions to that, and I'll try to take a crack at them at the end. So uh, a few years back, there was this woman named uh, Patty, Patty Hinken, which is fun to say. Patty Hinken. She lived in Illinois, and she, was, she had bought an old rocking chair at an antique shop, and she was reupholstering it, and she was ripping off the upholstery, and she found an envelope under the upholstery. And there was a key inside the envelope, and inside a note was written that said, Finders Keepers. And it said, it gave an address, and it said somewhere at this address, the address of a farm, is buried a chest full of 250 gold coins. These rare, valuable coins. And it's buried 12 feet underground, and it's on this farm. And so she is intrigued, as anybody would be, and the key opens the chest. So she finds the address, she approaches the owners of the farm, and she says, you know, here's the deal, I found this letter, and they said, look, you dig for it, it's our property, if you find it, we'll split, we'll split the chest 50-50. So she rents a backhoe and starts tearing up their farm, um, and she gets in the local paper, like, it's kind of getting some buzz, and the, the publishes the letter in the, in the local paper, and then someone calls into the newspaper, so they then contact Patty Hinken, and, they, oh, and it was signed, the letter was signed by a man named Chauncey Walcott. Also super fun to say. I just picked this article because it's got fun names. 
Patty Haken and old Charles Chauncey Walcott. Um, and somebody calls into the newspaper and they said, hey, actually there was a guy, his name was John Slavin, he lived here in the 1950s and 60s, and he was a famous practical joker, and he liked to use the false name Chauncey Walcott, which sounds fake, right? It sounds made up, Chauncey Walcott. And um, th this is a hoax. But it was interesting because John Slavin, AKA Chauncey Walcott, used to live on that farm. And he was an avid coin collector. So like there's like info about him. It's like maybe, maybe this is legit. Maybe this is for real. And so the property owners were like, you can keep digging, just not with a backhoe. <laughs> like you can keep looking for it. Like the deal stands, but just get the backhoe out of here. And uh, Patty Hankin said this, I might play a practical joke like this in the future, but I would leave something to find, a clue or some indication of who I was and not just leave them wondering what kind of sick person would put someone through this. Um, but so she reached at the point that this article was written, she had this decision to make, right? Like, should I stay or should I go? Right? Um, she, do, I, do I follow like the myth of Chauncey Walcott? Like, could it be real or is it just time to wipe the sweat off my brow and say, well, that was uh, adorable, but we're moving on. It's Jesus is in the middle of this situation with his disciples where they are sort of at this Chauncey Walcott moment about Jesus. Like, who are you? What is the deal here? Um, they have a decision to make of, am I going to stick with this guy or am I going to bail? Do I keep digging with him or do I move on? And, you know, we face all these, we face decisions like this all the time. You, when you chose to come to William & Mary, you were making this call. Like, do I go there or do I go somewhere else? If you didn't transfer... <laughs> If you haven't transferred yet, you've decided to stay when there might be some reasons to go. It's a great place, but you, it may have crossed your mind to leave uh, marriage. Will I marry this person or will we break up? Should I stay or should I go? Um, and many of us are at that place with God. Uh, perhaps you come to RUF because you're exploring and you're considering it and you're hearing these stories, but at, at some point you're kind of hitting this point of like, am I, am I going to follow this man or not? Jesus, not me. <laughs> uh, Jesus. <laughs> we could, let's just start a cult. Let's just move to the woods. And, um, um, or perhaps like you grew up believing in God, but now you've come to college and some things are beginning to break apart. And uh, you're thinking like, uh, maybe it's time to punt on the, the Jesus Christian thing. Well, I want to look at this passage and I want to ask two big questions. First, why go? We're going to go, why go? Why stay? Why go? Why would uh, these disciples leave? Uh, first, and implicitly also for us, why go? First, Jesus is offensive. Did you notice? He's like, do you find these things offensive that I'm saying to you? Um, and it's interesting, their reaction is, you know, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? More on that in a minute. And here's some of what he said. In the passage prior, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. <laughs> What's offensive about that? That's a totally normal thing to say, right? Um, well, for starters, it's like cannibalistic, right? You imagine like this group of people following this man and he's talking about drinking his blood in order to live, in order to be resurrected on the last day. Um, it's also like incredibly arrogant. We might even say narcissistic, right? 
my blood I will raise up. Apart from me, you have no life in you. It's exclusive. It's a very much an either or, like you're either with me and drinking my blood and eating my flesh, or you're not. It excludes those who don't follow, and then he's chastising people for not believing. This is hard. This is a hard saying. What offends you about Jesus? If Jesus doesn't offend you a smidge, you're not paying attention to him. Like, I, I was realizing today as I was reflecting on this that one of the reasons why I sometimes will avoid reading the Bible is because it, Jesus makes me uncomfortable. Like, I'm quite comfortable, and I don't want to be disturbed. Uh, what offends you about it? Maybe it's the exclusivity piece, right? Like, this is 2019. How can you say that Jesus, how can you claim to be, like, the only way in these sort of categorical terms? Maybe it's the judgment that he seems to have. You have no life apart from me. Uh, maybe it's the theology. Did you catch it? Verse 65. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. So like you're saying we're supposed to follow you, and then he says, yet some of you don't believe. So he's like saying, God's in control, and you can only come to me if my Father grants it to you, but at the same time, if you don't believe, it's your fault. It just doesn't seem fair. Like, solve the mystery. Don't just lay the two things side by side that God's in control, and yet I'm responsible, and yet he does that, and he does it quite often. And it's offensive because he's saying, like, you can't do it on your own. It's impossible, and that feels unfair. Um... To then give us a command, an imperative to believe. Maybe you just don't want him interfering with your freedom. Like he seems to be making this claim on us if we're supposed to like eat his flesh and drink his blood. More on what that means in a minute. Like he kind of owns us. Like we're supposed to abide in him and him in us. These are reasons to go. These are reasons to walk away. How awesome would it be if like half of you got up and were like, yeah, those are great reasons. I'm out. Um, well, there's other reasons, too, um, that, that almost drive a little bit deeper uh, into our hearts, into our souls. Uh, another reason to leave is that you, he, he talks about my flesh is true bread and my blood is true drink, true food and true, true drink. We might leave because we found other food and drink. We found other things to fill us up. Like you guys saw my kids running around, a very common thing. They come home from school. They immediately want to fill up on snacks, right? And we say, don't eat snacks because you'll spoil your dinner, right? That was the part where you all go, spoil your dinner. But it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, but that's why Judas walked away. Jesus references the one who would betray him, whose name is Judas. That's why Judas left, because he had other food and drink. His food and drink was 30 pieces of silver, and feeling like an insider with a conspiracy theory with powerful people. He wanted to belong, and he wanted power, and he wanted wealth. And he was so satiated on that that he becomes the original worm tail, the secret keeper who shares where Jesus is and betrays him to die. And Judas is a really interesting character in the Gospels. He should sober us because the thought would be, like, in the story, the, crowd, the disciples at large, like general followers leave, but then the 12 stay, they follow him. And you would think that someone close to Jesus wouldn't leave him, and yet later in the story, the worst crime committed is by this man who spent up close personal time with Jesus. Do you know what the coldest place in our solar system is? It's the moon, our moon. It's one degree colder than Pluto, which is 40 times further away from the sun. 
This is fast. I don't know how that's possible. I didn't personally measure the temperature of those two places, but I read it. Pluto's 40 times farther away from the sun than our moon is, and yet it's one degree warmer. So here's, what I'm, here's my point. Judas is close, but he has a heart of stone. Proximity and warmth towards something are not the same thing. Uh, he is like the moon who is up close and yet cold, and that should sober a lot of us here because the majority of you came in here tonight and you uh, could be doing a keg stand. You could be studying, you could be joining a club that furthers your resume and your reputation. Sorry to break it to you, Aria won't. You could be at the threes stuffing your face with candy because somebody dropped a 700-pound box of candy next, in between the threes for some reason. You could be doing that. You chose to give up a night to come and listen to the Bible and sing songs that are weird. And so this notion that Judas then walks away, which you don't really see coming in the story when you're reading it for the first time. I read it with a friend last year who was reading the New Testament for the first time, and he said he got to the chapter about Judas's betrayal of Jesus, and he said it felt like someone punched him in the stomach. It was a new story to him, and he was like, what just happened? And that's how it, it should feel, and I got to feel that with him again for the first time. Um, and it's not like the other disciples were like, after Judas betrays him, like, hey, you know, did you notice all those times we were following Jesus and we were going out and serving people and casting out demons? Did you ever notice how Judas's demon didn't kind of come out all the way? He sort of only half exercised the person. His healings, like the people got healed for a little bit, but then they got sick again. Like, no, Judas was right there ministering with the other disciples, following Jesus and doing works in the name of Jesus. And yet he falls away. It's scary. Because he had other food and drink. What's your food and drink? It could be a relationship. It could be a person that you cannot let go of or the aspiration for it. That once you have that thing, then it will be satisfying to you. That mate, that boyfriend, that girlfriend. Obviously, we talk about this all the time. It could be your grades. Like, how do you react when you get a bad grade? It's going to reveal a lot about your heart. Like, if your first instinct is to go on to rate my professor and, like, trash that human being because you got a B plus on your quiz. Like, I'm gonna suggest that your GPA is your food and drink. Um, it could be your reputation, your, the, people's opinion of you. How do you handle it when someone confronts you, criticizes, or challenges you? What's your knee-jerk reaction? Could just be sheer pleasure, pixie sticks at the threes. Um, whatever you are filling yourself up on, and here's, here's the slippery part about it. You know what? The other food and drink work. It works. Like you can find a lot of sense of satisfaction for a time. Like Judas got his 30 pieces of silver. Now it didn't last long. <laughs> it didn't work out well uh, for him. It didn't end well. But they can, they can be that way where we've got to learn to identify like what is the food and drink that makes Jesus offensive to me? It makes me not want him for that. And then finally, the third reason to walk away is just simple lack of faith. Um, it's the, in verse 61, it says, Jesus knew that his disciples were grumbling amongst themselves. And that word grumbling is one that's used all throughout the Old Testament about the people of Israel and how like, no matter how much God does for them, they continue to grumble and complain against him. It's a hardening of the heart. And then when they use that statement, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? The phrase, the, the statement that they're making, they're not saying this is difficult to understand. 
They're not saying it's hard in the sense of I don't comprehend what he's talking about. Uh, it's actually, they're not looking for an explanation. They're actually saying, this is wrong. What he just said is not acceptable to us. I can't even listen to him say this. Who can even hear this? This is nuts. They're judging what he's saying, which is partly why he calls them out. Some of you do not believe. Um, years ago, man, the, my favorite car I ever had was a Volkswagen station wagon. I know that makes me super lame. Um, but my favorite car was a Volkswagen station wagon. And uh, we, we had just had it, we bought it used, but we had had it for maybe three or four months. And I'm driving around and I noticed whenever I would take a hard turn, the radio would, sort, would just short out, it would just quit working. So like whenever I'm turning hard right, like the radio, like the music stops. Very irritating. And I'm like, oh, you know, I remember looking on Consumer Reports and Volkswagen, they kind of have shoddy electronics, and so I'm gonna drive down to the dealership in Newport News and have them fix it. You know, it's, it's totally quit working. It's just dead, not picking anything up. And, uh, you know, I go into the dealership, and I'm, I was polite, but I had like a little swagger, you know, like, it's, this is still under warranty, and it's, you knuckleheads made a bad radio, and like, fix it for me, you know. So I'm in the waiting room, they're like, no problem, sir, it's under warranty, we'll replace it for you. And then uh, a few minutes later, I made a couple quick phone calls, and then this mechanic comes out, and he's like, hey, are you uh, Ben Robertson? I was like, yeah. And he says, yeah, so we found out what's wrong with your radio. And I was like, okay, um, how much, you know, what is it? And he's like, reach out your hand. So I put my hand out, and then he drops a fistful of quarters into my hand. And I'm like, like what? Like, <laughs> this is like for my time, like what's going on? And he's like, the tape deck was full of quarters. We're not fixing this, <laughs> like this, you're gonna have to pay for this. And uh, what had happened was, when I was, I was washing the car and cleaning it out, and one of my kids, who was then three years old, was helping me, <laughs> and went into my toll booth container in the ashtray and found the tape deck. This is an old enough car where there's a tape deck. Tapes were these little, it would spool. And um, she had loaded, put all my change into the slot because it fit and it made a cool sound and it killed my radio. So here's, here's the deal. The mechanic was like, the problem is not the stereo, idiot. The problem is you. <laughs> like, you can't put quarters in a stereo and expect it to work. And so when Jesus turns and he says, some of you still do not believe He's saying, look, the problem is not with your radio. The problem is that you have loaded it with the quarters of unbelief. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is not the problem. The problem is you. Which is, by the way, very offensive. There are some of you who do not believe. The saying is not hard. The radio is fine. It's your quarters. That's another reason to walk away. And they do. A bunch of them leave. Like the... the like, Jesus has been blowing and going, feeding people magic bread, and now they're gone. They, they leave. And lots of people leave. Lots of people leave in college. So you may have come here and you're like, I'm ready to follow Jesus and it's going to be awesome. But then you notice other people leaving, and you're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe this is a reason to leave. Or, you know, this community isn't really what I thought it was. The people who claim to be Christians don't seem consistent. They're kind of hypocritical, kind of fickle. And all these people leave. 
Would some of them stay? Those are all reasons to go. But the next question is, why stay? Those are a lot of good reasons to go. Why stay? Uh, we want to stay because of who Jesus is. That's so basic. We stay because of who Jesus is, his identity. See, none of Jesus' teachings make any sense. They are, in fact, like not just offensive, but crazy. I was going to put a descriptor in front of crazy, but I'll just leave it at crazy. If he's not who he claims to be, and if we don't understand who the Gospels claim for him to be. Uh, and who does he claim to be? He says in verse 62, he, he describes himself as the Son of Man, which he has done before. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7 that describes this divine man-like figure riding on a cloud who's worshipped and given an eternal kingdom and is described like God. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. And then, did you notice he's talking about, if you're offended by this, how offended will you be when you see the Son of Man return to where he came from? Is he saying, I'm going to go back to heaven where I came from? In other words, he's saying, I am pre-existent. I existed before this uh, eternally in heaven. Here's the deal. Like, none of you can say that. I cannot say, like, if I say that, I am crazy, right? Uh, it's not crazy if he is who he says he is, but otherwise, he is. And so he turns to the 12, and everyone's leaving, and Jesus says, you know, are you going to leave me too? Do you want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That phrase, the Holy One of God, is another echo or this hint at Jesus being divine. All through uh, the prophets, particularly in the book of Isaiah, God refers to himself as the Holy One. He is the Holy One. And this divine attribute of holiness is attributed to Jesus by Peter. He's saying, you are the one. So we stay... Even though he is offensive, and even though he is hard to understand, and even though he is difficult at times to get along with in the most basic way, because he can say stuff like that because of who he is. If he is in fact God, then suddenly his offensiveness makes sense. Does that make sense? His identity. We stay because of who he is, but we also stay because of what he does. Who he is and what he does. His work. Who he is and what he does. When he makes this offensive phrase, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, this is well before his crucifixion. But he's going to talk this way again with just his closest 12 disciples. As he gives them what's called the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. Where he breaks bread and takes a cup of wine and he says, take this and eat. This is my blood. Take it and drink. And it's a glass of wine. But he says, this is my blood. Drink it. What he is saying, in a sense, is he's saying, I'm going to be broken in two. I'm going to bleed for you. And for your sake, what you need to do is you need to incorporate all of myself into yourself. Did you know if you're a Christian and you grew up like eating the cracker and the juice or whatever? Like, we are, we are fulfilling. We are doing this thing that Jesus taught us to do. And what we are saying is, Jesus, I need you fully inside of me. I need to incorporate you into myself. And he's doing this at the Passover, where in the Passover, in the Old Testament, they would kill the lamb, spread the blood for their forgiveness, and then they would eat it. 
They would say, I want the sacrifice to be part of me. I'm going to internalize it. This forgiveness of the shedding blood and then the life that comes from it, to take it and eat it. And then again, his reference here to Judas, where it says he knew who it was who would betray him. And he goes on to say, like, yes, I've chosen some of you, but even one of you will leave me. He's saying, I selected Judas to be in this little group. One of you will betray me. He picked Judas to be a part of the 12, knowing full well that Judas would turn him over to die. And Jesus did that on purpose. This is what he does. He comes and he says, I'm going to choose a betrayer to betray me so that I can die for the rest of you, so that I can raise you up and give you this spirit of life and give you these words that are life and spirit. I'm going to die so you can eat the sacrifice and live. Now, that's a lot of complicated stuff. I would love to get coffee with you, and I really do mean that, and talk about it more. Um, But I just want to ask simply, so we, we, we don't leave because of who he is. We don't leave because of what he does. Why does he do all that? Why pick Judas? Why go this route? It's the most basic answer there is. He does it because he loves you. You don't leave because of who he is, and you don't leave because of, of what he's done for you, and you don't leave because he loves you. He has taken all of who he is and all that he does to give you his love himself. And Peter's words here, to whom shall we go? I love this verse. This is one I go back to, like, in the dark hours of the night, in the John Newton weird hymn moments. To whom shall, like, where are we supposed to go? Do you have another suggestion? Is there a better place, Jesus? Because I'm pretty sure it's you. You are the Holy One. You have the words of eternal life. And what's so fascinating to me about this is that Peter has not had the hard saying explained to him yet. When it says they're grumbling, the sense of the text is that they were all grumbling together. This is a hard saying. Who can even listen to this? Jesus hasn't answered the question yet. He hasn't explained the whole flesh and blood thing. He hasn't told him about communion and the rest. He's just said, to whom shall we go? I have nowhere else to go. Peter doesn't understand the saying, but he has begun to understand Jesus. He has begun to understand Jesus. He's begun to understand who he is. And he is saying, I have nowhere else to go. I just trust you. I know you. And I'm with you. Um, one of the best things about being a dad is getting to read good stories and relive them and watch great movies. So I get to watch Pixar movies, like without shame. All the time, it's great. And uh, do you remember The Incredibles, the first one, which is better than the second? Um, second's pretty good, too. there's that neighbor kid on the trike and Mr. Incredible, like, he sees Mr. Incredible pick up the car to, like, find his car keys. And then later, when Mr. Incredible's having his, like, identity crisis and working through if he's going to have an affair, which goes over the kids' heads, thankfully. Um, Later in the movie, you know, Mr. Incredible's having his, like, anger existential crisis moment and he's frustrated and mad and he turns around and there's that kid on the trike just staring at him. You remember that? And the kid says... Or he, Mr. Incredible says to the kid, what? What are you waiting for? And the little boy on the track says, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. That's Jesus and Peter. Will you leave me too? 
What are you waiting for? Something amazing, I guess. Because Peter has seen Jesus do this stuff before. He has spent enough time with him to know who he is. And I would ask you, what are you expecting from Jesus? What are you waiting for? What is it that you think he is capable of? To whom shall you go if not to him? Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, that you are kind, that you are good, that you are worth waiting on and expecting things from. And though uh, your words and your actions and even the way that you continue to work in our lives now are often not what we would expect or request as we sang a moment ago, oh, you are worth it. You're worth following uh, in spite of whatever anyone else says or does. You're worth uh, going to uh, because you are the Holy One of God. Would you give us that same faith as Peter to trust you and to follow you? We pray this in your name. Amen.